Before we start the show, I just wanted to reach out and say that if you are loving listening to The Truth Prescription as much as we are loving making it, please subscribe to the podcast. Hit that subscribe button. Rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and iHeartRadio, to name a few. And come check us out at www.thetruthprescription.com to get more insights and info, because the truth will set you free if you let it. A lot of the anger doesn't have to do with you. Generally, it has to do with parts that are about me. And I think it's all you. And I've got to sort all that out. Because if I dump that huge load of anger on my partner, what is my partner going to do? He's just going to feel overwhelmed and defend. The minute I see an angry person coming at me, unless I've really got a problem, I don't say, oh, isn't it wonderful? Thank you for sharing. (laughs) Gentlemen and ladies, brothers and sisters, people. Whoever you are and wherever you are, welcome to the Truth Prescription Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sekou Gavis, and each week I interview successful people from around the world and discuss how accepting the truth can propel your career and help you live a life of gusto and purpose. No mantras, no gimmicks, just the truth. So close your eyes and open your ears. Now let's get into this. Come on. Good people, welcome to another episode of the Truth Prescription Podcast. Today I had the pleasure of interviewing Miss Linda Carroll, who's a therapist, uh, couples coach, and the author of the book, Love Skills. Her personal truth was discovering that love, the emotion of love is really a chemical reaction and that there's so much more work that needs to happen down the road. We've got really deeply into this COVID-19 pandemic and how it affects us in terms of our our personal relationships. We talked about the importance of selecting the correct partner and how if you have a lot of background baggage that your selections are always going to be based on whatever your background baggage is. We discussed how, you know, sometimes the most important thing in a relationship is not even being in relationship with the other person. It's about being in relationship with yourself or what she called being self-partnered. And lastly, the topic of anger and how it can be used for self-exploration. So we had a good, a good talk, action packed, a lot of knowledge. I hope you guys enjoy and uh, are are spending your time wisely during this, uh, during this time in this unprecedented time in history. I love you all. Stay positive and um, let's get into the show. Good people. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Prescription Podcast. I'm your humble host, Dr. Sekou Gathers. Before I introduce my guest, I just hope everybody's staying safe and healthy uh, during this time. Remember your social distancing, but also remember to have fun and not, uh, even though it's a serious situation, not try to take things too seriously. Today, I have a very interesting author. Her name is Linda Carroll. She's a therapist and coaches, uh, a couples coach, and the author of a new book called Love Skills. How you doing, Linda? Hi, I'm doing okay. All right, all right. Welcome to the Truth Prescription. I like Linda, and I wanted to have her on because you guys probably have heard this episode already. But I recorded an episode with uh, Mr. David Wood, who's a uh, also a keynote speaker and author, and he talks a lot about how to have difficult conversations in relationships. And I think this was a nice segue to talk about love skills. Before we sort of jump into what love skills are and, you know, how they can be of benefit to you in your personal life, 
we're going to get a little bit into uh, Miss Linda Carroll's journey and let her talk about her uh, her truth. So for my uh, people that are listening to the show for the first time, basically uh, on this show, we talk about the truth, but more specifically, the truth that we are ignoring and how when you ignore truth, it essentially blocks you and stops you. And once you accept truth, whatever that particular truth is, even if it's something as simple as I've got on a red t-shirt today, (laughs) it allows you to deal with reality and actually create real solutions to real problems. So Linda, do you want to talk about a personal or professional truth today? Well, I'll talk about a personal truth and I'm happy to talk about it as long as you want, because it's always relevant. It's coming up now in this crazy time we're all in. And also this time of so much, um, I, I love the expression, anticipatory anxiety. Anticipatory anxiety, yeah. That's, that is interesting. <laughs> so the, the truth that started me on the love skills or the love cycles, the first book I wrote, and the love skills journey is when I was, when I was 11, I had this profound experience of falling madly in love. And I've never felt anything so powerful since. It was the, I met a boy. My chemicals went crazy. I had no, I was a little Catholic schoolgirl. I had no clue this was coming. It whacked me. It knocked me over. And wow. it lasted for a long time. What happened was the feelings that came, which we know now are mediated by chemicals and brain changes and all sorts of reasons in my own personal difficult story as my of my childhood, why I got hit so young with that. But that's not relevant here. It happened. It was the truth. Yeah. I felt something happen to me into my body that I didn't understand. And I misunderstood it because what I thought when I felt that was that it was a sign that this person that was the catalyst for that feeling was the person I was going to go off into the sunset with and be with. And it was like taking, it was not, I don't want to say it was like, it was taking a drug and thinking the drug is the truth. Right. Nice. And so it was, and that didn't turn out well, of course. (laughs) And And it went on, it was a torturous relationship for a long time. And, but I went from one torturous relationship to another inappropriate as can be because I'd feel those chemicals and think, no, that's the one. That's the one. Right. The truth that came to me after a lot of years of doing this, looking for the one, the answer, the truth was that the one is inside of me. There is no one out there who's going to fill me that that chemical hit was just what it was. It was love's potion. And the longer I've taken apart those early relationships, the more I see how they mirrored my own troubled relationships as a kid with my parents, that they had nothing to do with appropriate partners. And they certainly didn't have to do with finding the one. The one is, is in me. So what that led to was finding myself in a lot of therapy and a lot of self-examination, a lot of, of work to claim what it means to be self-partnered. And I've been in a relationship for for 35 years, but I am self-partnered first. I have to be because there's no one else really. The phrase for love skills is love is a feeling. And it may mean that this is a person who's going to be a good choice and it may mean run the other way. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But in any event, the, the feeling is not, does not mean we found a compatible person. Right. It's a feeling. And even if we have found a compatible person, the feeling doesn't get us through skills get us through. Right. 
Right. And skills get us through. And so I'm just going to segue to the time we're in right now, sure. if I can, and yeah. say that I think that one of the most important things about that revelation that the one is in here is that business is booming. I'm online. I've been an online coach and therapist for a lot of years. And people who are married or in a partnership are asking for appointments because they're driving each other crazy. People who are <laughs> are asking for appointments because they want to be with somebody else. Yeah. I mean, it, it's exaggerating everything about this time. But what is happening when we're living with another person is it's exaggerating all of the differences between us. Right. I love the news. I want to watch it all the time. Yeah. Every time I turn on the news and so I see something else, I feel comforted in some crazy way. My husband does not want to see the news. He reads the New York Times every morning. And he checks it out at night. And in between, he wants, he doesn't want to know. <laughs> so I know something about skills and we are able to talk about that. But that exaggeration is going on with keep people all over. I, I'm, I have a friend and I've just, who, who is sending me these videos of lily ponds and sunsets yeah. and they're making me crazy. I don't want to go into meditation about herons flying over. I want to see either factual, really factual kinds of videos about what's going on, or I want really color humor that is sort of taking apart. There's this funny thing going around about a woman who's going crazy with online schooling for her kids. And <laughs> she's talking in Brazilian or something. I don't want lily ponds. My yeah. friend wants ponds and she's not wrong and neither am I. And yet we have to be able to make space for each other because all of our feelings, our proclivities are in everything is exaggerated. And so it's part of that thing that I'm the one for me. And if I'm living with another person, that person is not me. They're them. If they don't want to watch news or they want to go and bake all day long during this time, they should be able to do that. Right. And if I want to eat during this time, well, I need to eat something, but it, we're, and I think people are trying to make the other person them. We fall in love with someone because they're different than we are. And in a nor in normal life, then after a period of time, when those chemicals wear off, we start to feel annoyed that they're not like us. Right. That's the first thing we fell right. in love with. But then, and then as we move into the power struggle, we start to make them like us and start to use logic and all kinds of, of techniques to convince them that we're right. And in fact, they're not, they are not us. So I think that that truth is really saving me right now because I know he's not <laughs> and I'm not wrong. Right. We are just like we're different and we've got to make those spaces for each other and not try to convince the other person to be who we are. One point that you made and then we'll we'll segue actually into the love cycle because you kind of glossed over it as you were talking. One point I want the listeners to to key in on is she said that it's like a drug. And as a as a matter of fact, Actually, there are actual dopamine release and all kind of want to get into too much like neurochemistry, but there are drugs that flood into your body during this initial phase and gives you a sort of a high. But all drugs wear off. All drugs are metabolized and the body gets rid, rid of them. And then over time, as, as she so eloquently said, there really is no drug release and you're just kind of with the person. And, and then now the, the fun starts. So this is a, a good point, actually. Let's transition into your love cycle. This is a, a different book, but I think some of these things are kind of cool. You can briefly talk about them, but I read a little bit about it, but you can go into a little bit more detail. But the first step is the merge, right? What we just talked about, what this sort of chemically mediated. The second step is when the merge wears off, 
The third step is kind of where everything kind of goes wrong and you're like, who is this person? The fourth step is the decision when you're like, hmm, am I going to stay or am I going to run? <laughs> and then the mm-hmm. last the last cycle is really, uh, she calls it wholehearted, where you're just learning to love an imperfect person. So I kind of went over it briefly, but why don't you just tell the listeners a little bit of, you know, in detail each each step and then we can talk about some other things. Okay, well, the first one is the merge is where you feel like you found your other half. I've heard people introduce their partner saying, this is my other half. Yeah. And I run screaming when I hear that because, <laughs> because there is no one who is our other half. But in that state, because of those chemicals, we, we just notice all the ways we fit. Right. We glorify the ways we don't as yeah. the, because we're under the spell. And, and, you know, the brain is changing too. I mean, the, there's brain changes with those chemical changes. That has diminishing returns. And mm. so every time we fall in love, it lasts less and less. In fact, I've people in their 50s that say, wow, every time I find the one or the right person, I just notice it lasts like just three months now. It used to last three years. (laughs) At 80, it'll probably be every three days. Right. So the merge is that feeling that is I found my other half because all those chemicals create kind of a halo effect around the person. And when that starts to change, we move into the power struggles. And I write a lot in my both books about the loop. Because the power struggles are where we are actually the very thing that is my hardest thing my partner will do, thing that is the hardest thing I will do. And when that happens, we move into protection. And so for an example would be, for me, I, disconnection's the hardest thing for me. Yeah, We're connected. It's all wonderful. It's all sweet. And then he goes and he reads a book. But I don't feel, my first feeling is he's abandoned me. Right. It's not reading a book. So what happens is going into fight, freeze, or flee, I go into fight. Yeah. I don't hit him. I just get a little sarcastic and critical. How's that book going? Lots of fun? Enjoying it to the max? That's it. And so his <laughs> guess what his thing is being criticized. Yeah. He doesn't fear abandonment yeah. or connection. It's criticism. So I say something to him critical. He then withdraws. Or he withdraws the more I feel abandoned. So the more I criticize and that the more he feels criticized, the more he abandons. And that's a big old loop. And the power struggle is filled with those loops. And and it's the ways we found, we thought we were so alike in the beginning. It's the ways we don't fit. The third stage, which is the it's disenchantment. If the first stage was enchantment and the third stage were disenchanted, Stage one, everything is like evidence that this is the right person. Mm-hmm. And stage three, it's evidence they're wrong. Right. Just even the shoes they wear, everything. They walk <laughs> in the room, they say, hello. Why wouldn't you know he'd, she'd say it like that? So that's also, it's a fantasy. Yeah. Because for most, for most of us, some things fit and some things don't. So in the stage three, though, all we notice is what's wrong. Okay. And that's where hard goes on. That's where people have affairs and they want out and they, you know, they get into the sort of the, the really hardest energy of the relationship. Stage four is we think I can't do this anymore. I can't stand it. And then we either leave, we go into parallel lives and just withdraw so much that we're not present to each other, or we make a decision or we do nothing, which is a disaster, or we make a decision to try to figure out how did I get here? This is actually a good person I'm with. In some ways, we're good partners. We're not the one. We're not always connected, but a lot of it works. Yeah. Let's see what we can do and 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 figure. Sometimes people 
come in that stage to me and they say, what do you think we should do? We're disconnected. We don't have sex anymore. You know, we don't like to talk about everything. Everything leads to trouble. But essentially, we respect each other. And I say, this is the time to do the work. Yeah. And decide what to do. Not in the middle of when you're so distressed. It's like, you know, the when you're in the middle of, of the hardest time of the relationship pandemic, which is stage four, which is really a nightmare for people many times because yeah. everything feels wrong, nothing fits. They're, and often they're not touching, they're not having sex, they're not talking. That's the time that you can do the work that whatever happens in the relationship, you can end up with more wholeness in yourself. And that wholeheartedness is not about the other person. It's where you become more wholehearted in you. Yeah. I want to say something really quick. I remember, because I'm in my second marriage now. And when I was married the first time, I remember being in this place in, in stage four where we were trying to make the decision. And my therapist, I was always wondering, why is this woman telling me you need to really work on it as much as you can, as much as you can, as much as you can. And now I sort of get it that, that's the point in time when you feel like everything is just going to go to shit when it's the time to really try to make it work because there's so much more on the other side. And obviously I couldn't make it work, but in my head, I was like, doesn't she see what this woman's doing to me? Why does she want me to stay in this? <laughs> you know? But some of that stuff's going to follow you. Yeah. For example, when I talked about the power struggle, yeah. the part of me that feels abandoned when my partner wants to go for a walk is going to follow me until I look at that part or the part of my partner that feels criticized. If I say you forgot the spinach, those are something we're going to carry with us into the next relationship. Sure. So it's really a chance to work on ourselves to see where we get triggered or how we got into this to begin with, to be able to see where our reactivity is contributing to it right. because it's going to happen again, maybe not the same way, but we bring ourselves to everywhere we go. Yeah. Yeah, wherever you go, there you are. Okay, question for you, just thinking about this. Does the cycle ever start over? Yes. When you get to that fifth stage, you're not there permanently. It's not like, oh, now we're in wholehearted love. and For 40 years. <laughs> but what happens, is, I think of it this way. It's like you live from a place more often than not. And you can feel wholehearted and you fall into big trouble on Tuesday morning you know, you could Tuesday or Monday night, you can feel stage one all over again. And stage two, you're driving each other crazy. But you have the uh, mindfulness to know this is this is one of the things I say in the book is the wave is not the ocean. The moment that you're in it is not the truth. And I know we just got into a lot of trouble because I wanted to watch that news and he didn't want to hear it. <laughs> but I know that it's not that the relationship is bad or he is bad. I know what to do yeah. and how to bring myself out of that, out of that triggered place. Yeah. In doing that, we can just sort of laugh at ourselves where we never could, yeah. which moves back into whole, boy, laughing at yourself can move you into wholehearted just about yeah. more than anything. I found one of the biggest steps for me personally when I got into my, this, my current marriage is whenever I would get upset about something that my spouse would do, I would take a, a second and think, all right, do I do that to her? And 99, not 99, 90% of the time I did. And so I would have a little chuckle with myself and then I'd move on from my anger because I realized that I can't be angry at her for something I'm also doing, <laughs> you know? And so you're right. I mean, laughing at yourself is hilarious. I would, I would literally laugh like, oh my God, I just, I do the same thing. It would be in a different way, but it would be the same thing at, at its core. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, and it moves you out of that place where you take yourself so seriously. Correct. Correct. Yeah, correct. Beautiful. Talk a little bit about your new book, I Love Skills, and um, sort of what do you, I guess, what do you want folks to learn? Well, I, I want them to, to know that a good relationship is not dependent on the feelings. That go. we feel, what we feel, first of all, we is not one person, it's two different people. So that's the first thing about the we. Yeah. And that I might be feeling madly in love with my partner uh, at a time when he's not very connected to me. Yeah. And love skills are really the skills that help us through. It's not the feeling that helps us through. I, you know, the feeling came to me at 11. How skilled are you at 11? Not too skilled, right? <laughs> but the skills anybody can learn. When you say 11, you mean age 11? Age 11. Oh, you, that, that's when you, you got that rush of emotion. That was age 11. Me, This little kid, really. Wow, age and 11, okay. Feel those feelings. How skilled are we at 11? Yeah. That a relationship is so dependent on skills. Not only that, but the skills can bring the feelings back when they're gone. Sure. I mean, not always. Nothing is always. Sometimes a relationship just isn't going to work. But the skill is what brings in empathy. It brings in understanding of our partner's point of view. It brings in our own sort of generosity. And it's the, the skills are what bring back all those good feelings. Sure. So so I taught, I've taught a class for 25 years. And I thought originally I would write a book about sort of a curriculum to go with love cycles. But when I started writing the book, it kind of took its own journey. If anyone out there is a writer, they know that you start to write. You think you're going to write about this, but sometimes it changes. I've had care. My mother was a fiction, was a great writer. And so she, I remember she would tell me she'd have a story whole planned. One of the characters would appear and it would take a different turn. And I, I think that that is, that's what happened in love, in love skills. Okay. It was going to be going to be a curriculum, but it actually became a narrative and it had a lot in it. One thing that when I was looking, listening to one of your, your other interviews, you had mentioned that sometimes clients come to you and they say, you know, I'm not in love with my spouse anymore. For those that may be listening that feel that way, what would you say to them? I'd say that love is a feeling and I'd say, yeah, so what else is new? I wouldn't really say that. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say that to my friends. I wouldn't say that as a therapist, but it's true. It's like sometimes you're not, you don't feel that feeling all the time. Yeah. You know, sometimes you feel annoyed or bored. It's And one of the reasons that Love Cycles, that that title of that book seems so significant to me is that we cycle all the time and that relationships have seasons. Yeah. Long-term relationships can tell you about a lot of winters and a lot of summers, a lot of foggy times in the relationship where there is nothing happening. Yeah. So a long-term relationship is full of flat spaces, hot spaces. Spaces, heavy spaces, and the weather changes. So when you say I'm not in love, it doesn't mean the relationship is necessarily over with. It may mean that the feeling isn't there and what else is going on and how much time have you spent? You know, I had this guy come in one time, this couple come in one time, but it was the guy I remember. And they said, and he was so impatient. And he sat down, he was pointed to his watch. First thing, (laughs) we've got 50 minutes and we can come six times. I'm a busy person. I don't have a lot of time for this. We need to get the relationship back on track. I want to feel in love with my wife. I want her to be in love with me. Let's go. Oh, God. And I just looked and I thought, oh, this is not, I said, you know, this isn't going to work. Right. This Take, is not taking control. Taking control and having this idea that in six sessions, we're going to get to all the <laughs> stuff that's under, 
But then, you know, I had another thought and the other thought was, this is what he does in the relationship. Correct. We've got three minutes to get intimate, to put into the relationship. I've got a lot of important things to do. So here are your three minutes, do it. It's not going to work. No. You've got to put time into the relationship. You've got to nourish it. You've, every day you've got to feed it something. Even two minutes that are good two minutes can do a lot. And I, and that is, I think that's, that's one of the important skills is knowing it takes it takes time that we've got to recreate it every day. How, how did you end up handling that guy and how did their sessions go ultimately? I said to him, I can't do it. I, I, <laughs> Good. Perfect. I'm not the one that can do this for you in six sessions. Right. I said, is there anything about what you just did that is about how you are in the marriage? Nice. You want it to, and, and the woman starts yelling. I mean, you don't want to hear about that. Anyway, she starts yelling. Anyway, he did. He, they left. And later they split up. But I mean, I did, and I wasn't, I didn't even challenge him very. I just said, I can't do it. Maybe somebody else can. This is going to take a lot of time. There you go. So that was, that, that's another example of using the truth as a weapon. Yes, it is. That's right. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. And he didn't want to hear the truth. Uh, Jack Nicholson, you know, he can't handle the truth. So he left. Yeah, that's right. He, so it was good because I can't work with that either. You know, right. that's just not what I do is six sessions to to get to intimacy. It doesn't work like that. No. And it's important because it also shows that there also needs to be synergy between therapist and client. You know, people often don't think of that, but that's a relationship as well that needs some nurturing and some synergy. The real relationship. And, you know, the research on what works, what kind of techniques and styles has been for, for decades. The research is the same. It's the relationship between the therapist and the client is what works and what the whether they use cognitive or whether they use humanistic or whatever kind of, you know, blah, Just blah, blah, blah. Yeah. whatever it is, it's really about the relationship with that person. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, so that's right. So and, interesting. And two people, you've got to work and have trust from both of them. So a relationship with, a, with a couple is in the olden days of so much of the, Couples counseling had to do with trying to help people negotiate, figure, helping people see who was wrong or right. But that's not what goes on now. It's really me creating the space for and teaching the skills for two people to do their own work. And if I don't have a good relationship with both of them, I can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Because one may be antagonistic to the process and you need everybody sort of in line with the with what, what, why you're there. They're, everybody's intent needs to be the same. Let me ask you in your process. What do you find sort of across the board that's common among people in terms of um, the major relationship issue? Like if you could name one or two things that you find is major over your 20, 30 years of doing this, what would that be? This is, I'm going to give you a really unpopular answer. Okay. Tell me. It usually starts by the person looking at the other and pointing to them and saying, this is what she does. This is what he does. <laughs> right. And it, Starts because what happens is when we're under stress, what we look out and see is the other. And the, the antidote, I mean, if you're in a relationship where you're in, in danger, the other person is hurting you, you just got to get out. This this doesn't apply to that. Okay. It's just to people who are not in, in dangerous relationships. But what the work is, figuring out what my part is in that. Right. You know, right. I'm with someone who, if somebody says, he's always criticizing me. That may be, but the liberation comes when I can ex can I can understand where I'm triggered and vulnerable about everything feeling like criticism and the work I can do to stop that. Yeah. Now, 
and so that's number one is being able to, to, to change the direction of our focus. Rather, you can do an, a lot in a relationship to change it by working on yourself. Big time. It reminds me of that Michael Jackson song when he's like, if you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and then make the change. <laughs> you know? That's the answer to the question right there. Yeah. If you want to make your relationship a better place, take a look at yourself and you can change it. Right. So that's the one. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. All right. Listen, let's jump into yes or BS. I'm going to make a statement and you can say yes or BS and you can expound or not expound. It's up to you. Number one. All relationships can be salvaged. BS. Because the first part of a relationship has to do with how we select. Mm. And I'm selecting a person who is, and we know that a lot of our relationships, we select somebody who reminds us of some unfinished dynamic in our childhood. So if Mm. I have a, a parent who's a depressive addict, and I keep finding depressed people to try to save, that's not going to go well. Mm. And it's also true that if I'm a person who thinks that I'm inadequate and I want someone who's going to adore me so that I'll feel good about myself, that may be not the grounds for the best relationship. Right. Or if I want someone who's turning me on sexually and I don't care about anything else, I might find out there are other qualities that are just as important. So selection is a big part of it. And I think we have to be pretty healthy to select well. And sometimes that comes from not selecting well. So that's BS. All right. Number two, anger helps with honest communication. I don't understand the question. (laughs) Meaning when you're angry and the emotion is raw and you're saying what you're feeling deep down, that the destructive, sometimes the destructive nature of anger maybe can open up some new avenues for communication. I think generally that's not a good idea. <laughs> Occasionally it can be. There is a, There was a, a sort of a cliche that therapists would talk about in supervision groups about how, why, when a couple finally say, we're getting divorced, I'm leaving, they have the best sex they've had in 10 years because <laughs> they get it all out and they've said it all. But it's not generally. And so there is something in that, okay. but generally it's not a good idea because in anger I'm distorted. I'm full of blame and righteous indignation. And what I can do is a lot more damage. So I think that the the better way is is for me to use my anger as self-exploration before I bring it to my partner. Okay. Using anger as self-exploration. I like that. I'm going to put that in the notes. That's a great one. My anger is giving me information. It's saying I have reached the end of being able to tolerate this or it's it's poking to something at me that's really for me to look at. And yeah. it may have little to do with my partner. Right. I need to know something about anger because that feeling is pretty scary. And coming out of that feeling can create a lot of a, a bigger mess than anything else. Yeah. I found for me that most of the time, it's not a good idea. <laughs> that uh, it's better to just just not say anything, reflect. Writing, writing helps me a lot. I write everything out kind of get it out and then look at it and evaluate it and then and then reset. Because usually there is something that needs to be communicated, but to your point, not in that manner. So if you think about it another way, you know, we know not a lot about the brain now, and you certainly do as a physician, that the front of the brain is where we are, the, our, our neocortex, yes. it's where Cognitive. we are. It, it, that's right. We're, 
have our, our consciousness and it's where we can respond. Our reactivity is coming from our amygdala. It's coming yeah. from the parts of the fight or flight. Right. When I'm angry, it's like the lights go out in the front of the brain and they come out in the back. Yeah. And when you have two people re- responding from anger, it's like you've got two angry three-year-olds in big bodies and they can do a lot of damage. Right. So right. certainly to, to own your anger is 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 good, important. A lot of the anger doesn't have to do with you generally. It has to do with parts that are about me. And I think it's all you. And I've got to sort all that out because if I dump that huge load of anger on my partner, what is my partner going to do? He's just going to feel overwhelmed and defend. The minute I see an angry person coming at me, unless I've really got a problem, I don't say, oh, isn't it wonderful? Thank you for sharing. Tell me. (laughs) Right. I start to put up my defenses. Right. So of good communication is knowing how to talk about the things we're angry about. Yeah. Number three, therapy is not for everyone. True. I want it to be for everyone because I love it. I love being in therapy. I love being a therapist. But for some people, it, it's not what works. They play, they play the cello. They ride their bike. They don't want to talk about feelings. And I think that it is. It, so I, I mean, deep down, I think it is for everyone and everyone should do it and must do it. But that's the part of me that is not logical. <laughs> the truth is, is that for some people playing the violin is going to help them just as much. Or, 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 And so, you know, not all of us can, that process doesn't work for everybody. Yeah. Self-reflection, I think, is for everyone. Right. Self-reflection and working on yourself is part of, I think, our human our our human, I want to say our human duty is being the best person we can is to know ourselves. But that's that style isn't for everyone. It's interesting that self reflection is not taught in our educational system. It is really it's sad, isn't it? It's yeah. like goes back to the Greeks. I mean, it's the first thing: know thyself. Know thyself. And, well, H- H- Hippocrates said, "Physician, know thyself." But yes, know thyself. Very important. Number four, last one. I don't know why I wrote this. This is kind of hilarious. Number four, COVID is positively affecting relationships. Well, (laughs) no. After I've read lots that, you know, there's going to be lots of babies coming, but there's also going to be a lot of divorces coming. Yeah. So I think it's, you know, how how generous people can be with the differences between them. You can't that statement. Is we're in high anxiety, anticipatory anxiety. Yeah. yeah. And you're in the center of it. You're at ground zero right now and you're in, in New, New York. York. Yeah. Yeah. And so when we get stressed, we're not usually, we're, often we don't act from our higher selves. Sure. And we don't act from our, our best selves. We act from our anxious selves. So I think that that is not true. I think that, I think that it can be a time where we really challenge ourselves to yeah. be best we can be. Yeah. And if people are doing that, that might be true. But I, I you know, I, I get these, <laughs> I was saying earlier, you know, people are sending all kinds of things around and one is what a great gift it is. I, it, don't tell that to the people who are dying. Yeah. You know, I, it, I think we're living in a very hard, hard time. And certainly people, the best of people, just like the worst of people is coming out. Yeah. I think about it like, I remember in my first relationship, a lot of times, like work was such a retreat for me, a refuge. Like I would go there for those 10 hours, 12 hours and just get away from the the pain of the reality of what I was dealing with or the reality, excuse me, that I wasn't dealing with. 
now people don't have that, right? They they have to be home with their spouse and their children and sort of deal with those feelings or, or not, or, or, or it, it makes it more difficult, you know, not to deal with them. So it's, it's an interesting time indeed. And I like the point that you made about, you know, it's, it's not a, a blessing for the people that are like myself who are, you know, I don't go in emergency, work in the emergency department a lot, but I have done one or two days and it's, it's tough. You know, you got nurses getting sick, you got doctors getting sick, you got healthcare providers dying, you have patients dying. And so um, it's not fun for, for, for those on the front line, for sure. It's not fun for people not on the front line because we're anticipating what, what is happening, what's going to happen. So I think we need a lot of generosity with ourselves and a lot of understanding that people manage themselves differently. For some people, they talk to their therapist all the time. I'm, you know, business is booming for yeah. online therapists. Yeah. For other people, I don't want to talk about any of it. They just want to go, you know, sort out their stamp collection or play, play the piano and, yeah. <laughs> and do what it is that's going to feed you right now to get through. The point I was trying to make with this question is that it's really a double edged sword. Like you can make make of it what you will. You really you really can. The time is yours and what you do with it is up to you. And also how I had one couple who were fighting over their stimulus check. And wow. for, for one of the person that one person said, well, I'm going to get this check and I'm going to give it to all the people who don't have anything. And then this person's partner said, are you crazy? Yeah. I'm going to get and I want to save everything in case it gets worse. Right. And they had and they had a terrible knockdown, it came, you know, to the point where they were threatening to leave each other about this. Wow. But, this is, you know, this is one of the biggies between couples is money. Right. Right. And another one is generosity or what how they experience generosity and the person who didn't want to share it is the person who I would love to have for a neighbor because he would come and fix anything that was broken for a neighbor, but he wouldn't give them a can of beans. That's an example of what we're talking about. Right. So all differences, money comes out, sex comes out. One person's full of anxiety and they want to have sex all the time yes. to reach their anxiety. Yeah. And their partner is so full of anxiety that the last thing they want is sex. Yes. So going to get exaggerated too. Yeah. So all of them I've, I've been I've been experiencing that in my household. <laughs> generosity, remember that's the research says yeah. that generosity is the most important quality yeah. in a long-term relationship and we need generosity to deal with the way our partner is different right now. Correct. Let them be them. We'll we'll end it on that. Linda, this was fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on. But I'm glad we so glad we did it. I'm glad we did. I'm glad we made it, made the time. You know, you have a lot of wisdom to share. Um, let the people know how they can reach out to you and if they want to do some um, counseling with you or, or, you know, order your book. Well, you can come to my website, which is www.lindaacarroll.com. There's an A. Okay. Or you can, my book is Love Skills. My email is lindacarroll44 at gmail.com. Nice. And I answer all my emails. So I always answer. No matter, you know, I'm, I'm very, I'm sort of, obsessive about getting answered. <laughs> and uh, and thank you. It's been wonderful to talk to you. So I'm so glad we did it. Thanks so much. Absolutely. And that's uh, Linda Carroll with two L's on the end. I will sign off as I always do. The truth will set you free if you let it.